0: Today, we are speaking with John Dunn from the Best Friends Animal Society. He's a senior specialist of communication. John, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Stacy. <laughs> this is very strange because I'm never on this side, ever.
0: I know. I know. We are doing an animal podcaster series here in December while we are getting ready for the holidays and everything. And I thought it would be great to interview all my best animal podcaster friends. And so, John, first and foremost, we know each other through the podcast and share with our listeners. What podcast are you the host of?
1: The Best Friends Podcast. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> they, they, we, we talked about it internally. So what do you want to call it? And I said, ah, I don't know. How about the Best Friends Podcast? Yeah, sure. That works. So that's what it is. Best Friends Animal Society, the Best Friends Podcast.
0: Sounds Great. You want to share a little bit with our listeners, sort of how you got into this whole animal welfare space. And in addition to the podcast, what else do you do for Best Friends?
1: Boy, where to begin? So I was born and raised in England. I moved to America when I was a kid. I was a uh, teenager. And I was a pretty aimless person. You know, I didn't have a lot of friends. I moved around a lot. I had uh, a very thick English accent. So, you know, I think like a lot of people in this movement, we identify with animals. Animals are there for us. They don't judge us. They don't bully us. They, you know, so I, I think that's a, a, a common story and certainly one that I identify with. So I went to school as a bad student. I flunked out of college. <laughs> is this a job interview? Because uh, I don't think this is going very well to start. So yeah, so I go to college. I flunk out and uh, I ended up joining the army. I was in the uh, United States army. And I became a radio news journalist. <laughs> how do all these things happen? Stacy? I'm telling you, we need like a six-parter. But basically, I was a waiter. I was waiting tables at a restaurant. The staff of the first radio station came in. And I was doing my regular shtick, you know? Hey, how are you? Can I get you the special today? And one of the guys said, hey, you've got a good voice. Have you ever thought about radio? And I sort of looked around and said, "No." You know I- yeah, it's better than this. All right, let's give it a shot. So I went in, it was a news talk station. It was a locally owned cash strapped station, I will say. Uh, And I worked there for about a year, just learning as much as I could. And that station actually went bankrupt. And like, oh my, what am I going to do? I called the two people I knew in radio. uh, This is in Portland, Oregon, by the way, at this time. And uh, they were the two news directors of the two biggest news talk stations in Portland. I called one and he said, no way would I hire you. And the other one said, sure, but you got to start over like you're going to start from square one. So that's how that started. And I worked there for a couple of years and covered a story that had interest to uh, station in Salt Lake City. So at the end of that week, I'd done some live hits for them. And uh, the news director called and said, hey, I think I want to hire you. Come in. Uh, you know, let's chat. They flew me in. The guy gave me a tour in his car, like I was some sort of celebrity. It was incredible, and he was, you know, are you interested in working here? Are you kidding? Of course, I, yeah. But I've, you know, I played it cool. Like, well, how much you thinking? You know, no, I totally. I like lost my, lost my cool. And through that process, so this was Salt Lake City, KSL in Salt Lake City, and is a very successful company station. And so one of the things that re- they really kind of encouraged employees to do was to volunteer and being an animal person it was a pretty easy choice for me but i was also new in that community so i reached out to somebody that i had found through a golf group and he said oh yeah my wife's involved and it was no more homeless pets in utah which today's best friends utah in salt lake city so i did ambassador work for about four years you know going to uh, events and selling t-shirts and spreading the good word and Julie Castle, our now CEO, who was executive director of No More Homeless Pets in Utah, had just started back, had gone back to the sanctuary in Southern Utah to, to work uh, and run the outreach division of Best Friends. And we were hanging out at a fundraiser and she said, John, I love you. I think you're great. Please come work for me in Canab. And that was 14 years ago.
0: Oh, my. Excellent. So you did a whole range of other stuff for Best Friends before getting into this podcasting stuff, you are doing other things. What other roles have you played?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting time. I just hit my 14-year anniversary. And every time I hit that anniversary, I start to think about the time that I've had at Best Friends. And it is so it almost feels like different lives. You know, back when I started, the organization was very different than it was today. Um, I mean, still the same core of the organization, obviously, but our mission was more broad I would say than it is today. You know, are very focused on ending the killing of cats and dogs and shelters. So, you know, it was again, a big organization, but like a lot of people in nonprofits, we all wore a lot of different hats. And so I started doing some advocacy work with our pit bull, uh, initiative and, did some of that. I did, uh, boy, I want to say there were like three or four jobs in the first like eight months or something, uh, really just trying to find something I was good at. And ultimately ended up doing social media was really the first kind of like proper next role I had where at that time, you know, 2008, nine, you know, it's really starting to take off. I mean, you know, Facebook now we can all have Facebook, right? If you remember that moment in time and, I just was on the side, like running the MySpace page for best friends and doing some stuff. And, you know, Julie likes to tell the joke that she realized, hey, you know, we really should actually put some resources behind this and, you know, dedicate someone. And she sort of looked around the room and saw me and just said, well, you know, John Dunn already wastes all of his day on social media anyway. So let's just give him the role. Right. So that was that. And then that led to doing web stuff, helped with the web redesign for uh, bestfriends.org. And Stacey, what else have I done? What else have I done? I did some policy work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is really a little bit of everything. I'm a, a, other duties as a signed person. You know, whether it's our new employee orientation or uh, our our best friends national conference, I'll help with the content. Those types of things. Just really whatever I'm asked to do, I'm into it. You know, if you can use me, use me.
0: <laughs> Sounds great. So let me ask you, John Dunn, what is your passion around cats?
1: I've always been a cat person. I uh, grew up, as I said, in England, and I don't know if you've ever had, have you had anybody on the podcast uh, that's from England?
0: I have. Yeah, Yeah,
1: totally different, isn't it? The way that, it, you know, people in England, and I would say Europe on the whole, but in England, in my experience, you know, things like keeping a cat indoors, that's the cruel thing over there. You know, I mean, when I was growing up, you wouldn't even, I, I don't even know that I'd ever heard those words together, keep cats indoors. You know, it just wasn't, it just wasn't the way that it was. Um, but we grew up with cats my whole life. I mean, again, it was a very dangerous life for cats uh, outside, particularly in the road we lived in. And so we we had a lot of cats when I was growing up, sad to say, but they definitely were impactful uh, on me. And, and you know, I, again, anybody listening to this, and I know you're one of these people, cats, I just love them. I just love cats. I have the connection with cats in a way that I don't with other animals. I see the way people uh, have that connection with dogs. Listen, I love dogs. I love dogs, but they're not cats and they never will be. And so I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by them. I, I just feel very lucky to be able to share my life with cats.
0: You know, since you've been in the animal welfare space for quite a few years, has your journey with regards to trap neuter return, return to field accessibility for spay neuter services for cats, you know, how has that changed over the years for you?
1: Yeah, I, it's a good question. I, I never really questioned TNR as a as a practice that was, you know, the right thing to do. Its efficacy, you know, certainly over the years. You know, if we go kind of pre, you know, some of the studies that have come out, I, let's say uh, episode for another day, maybe certainly had a lot of conversations about the role of TNR in the overall work where it fits. You know, we have a lot of things to do, right? We have a lot of things in front of us and we know that we want to end, uh, you know, unnecessary euthanasia of pets and shelters, right? So what does that mean? You know, if we have this pool of money that, yeah, we can grow, but, Ultimately, we need to make those programmatic choices. You know, where does TNR fit? Uh, obviously, I'm a proponent of TNR and, and return to gold. I think in ownership, what is ownership? What is a good home for a cat? You know, it, and it's funny. To, I mean, I don't know if it, this is really a good example of coming full circle, but you know, I grew up in England and cats were outside and we didn't think anything about it. Were there hazards that came with it? absolutely looking back, we could have probably helped with some of those, um, you know, but the, I don't want my cats outside. Stacey, i gonna be super real with you. I don't want my cats outside, but I also do very much believe that a cat outside isn't the worst thing. The worst thing I think we can do is just pull cats, off the street indiscriminately, and then rehome them, because why was that cat there? right? So that that shift of even asking that question of, who does this cat belong to? Maybe it's the whole neighborhood. What does that mean? Like those types of conversations, I think I've shifted my thoughts. you know, if you asked me twelve years ago, I don't think I would be where I am today on some of those issues, which is cats deserve to live. Leave them alone.
0: And there's a whole full we could talk for hours and hours and hours about that whole thought process around, the cats in the community and how to decide whether a cat needs assistance, whether it should be just left there, whether it should be, you know, TNR and just returned back. So there's a whole long list and that's what I've been talking about. Like the, the social factors within the community, what are the resources that are available? You know, who can afford the cost of doing it, getting the cat, the help that that cat needs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many factors in play with regards to taking care of cats, owned cats, indoor only owned cats, as well as cats out in the community, they're all are just, there's economic factors, there's locational factors. It's mind blowing, but yet it's comforting because in my mind, at least to know that we should look at all these factors to understand and to be able to serve cats, community, families better through an awareness and understanding of what those different factors are. So um, I mean, that culture, I mean, so you see, we're talking about D I today in a very big way in this movement, right? Finally, right.
1: We're trying to wrap our arms around this crazy big subject and what it means and the people that are involved and are impacted by all of these things. Again, you asked me 12 years ago, gosh, I'd like to say that I wasn't the kind of person to judge. I would like to say that 12 years ago, I never said, you know, poor people shouldn't have pets, but I bet you 12 years ago, I might not have said that. But if you'd showed me some scenarios, I would probably think differently today. And, you know, I think that just comes with time and understanding. And, uh, you know, i definitely have a long, long way to go. But I, I think if we can just always remember that a person and the pet is what matters, that's what matters, that person and that pet, you know, and particularly with cats. I mean, again, you know, I had a cat that lived outdoors. We had several cats in England, lived outdoors. They would disappear, I mean, anybody that's had an outdoor cat knows that. And you generally, even by day three, you kind of go, you know, where is Lucky? You know, I, at that point, as we know in America, you know, if that cat's been taken to a shelter, your odds of being able to find your cat are so, so slim. So that alone should really try to help us understand that we've got to do these things differently. And killing cats at the the, the levels that we have been and continued to is really I think it's Jack. Is it Jackson that says cats uh, are treated like a second-class animal? I'm sure, a
0: lot of people say that. Yeah, yeah.
1: We've got Dr. Hurley, maybe Kate Hurley, who I know you've had on the podcast before, is we just have somehow tried to think that they're the same as dogs, and they're not.
0: Could your animal welfare organization use a tune-up? Humane Network can help. You can get a free thirty-minute consultation to talk through your challenges and get ideas on how your organization can be more successful with less stress. From board development and fundraising to strategic planning and operations, Humane Network has got you covered. Whether you're a large or small, nonprofit or government, it's a live and thriving program led by a certified animal behavior consultant. features specially designed training for shelter and clinic staff on enrichment, stress reduction, safe animal handling, and behavior modification. With Humane Network, you receive individualized advice and support customized to meet your organization's unique needs. And Humane Network can lighten your load by taking on fundraising, communications, and other tasks you struggle with. Contact Humane Network today for a free 30-minute consultation. Visit humanenetwork.org. That's humanenetwork.org. Of course you know that Dubert is the only software that helps you do transport, foster management, and fundraising all in one place. But did you know that Dubert has powerful e-commerce capabilities to let you sell your organization's products? Forget paying for Shopify or trying to list your items on Facebook. With your DuBert account, you can list your organization's products and even do auctions right from their Rescue Store module. DuBert manages your orders, and all of the money goes directly into your PayPal, making it super easy to manage. Check out the DuBert Rescue Store functionality today at www.dubert.com, where they make animal rescue simple. Well, and you touch upon an interesting point there, which is something I'll I'll get on my soapbox for a minute here, which is, you know, I really think that we in society have looked at solutions, our solutions that we've applied for dogs as being the same solutions for cats. And therefore, you know, we either treat cats like they're little dogs, and we apply whatever that solution is, Or else we, you know, we just, we think like a dog when we're looking at our cat programs and we need to think like a cat when we're looking at our cat programs and take that whole dog and there are dog issues out there. There's behavior issues. There's breed issues. There's a whole range of those things. Those are dog things. Let's, let's start from scratch, looking at the cats and see how can we build our programs and, and our resources and apply our resources in a way that's maybe totally different from our dog solutions. And I still think we have a hard time with that.
1: I think we have a hard time a lot. And I think there's a human element to it, right? Boy, we're going to tangent here. Stay with us because I think I have a good point. I'm a vegan and this is not about advocacy. I'm not trying to tell you you should be vegan, but I became vegan largely because of animal stuff, right? A little bit because of health. uh, And I do care about the environment, but as my... Veganism grew. My advocacy grew. My wife and I started a, a, a business an organization, a local restaurant guide here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's called Vegan Grand Rapids, vegangr.com. Please feel free to go. Sorry, Stacy. <laughs> so we, we started Vegan GR, and you know I think there's an, a kind of an interesting way that a lot of activism is done. Whatever enlightened me, that's what I think everybody should get. Does that make sense? So if I, I saw a picture of a factory farm or a video, and that was the, the thing that turned that light bulb on for me, then if only everybody could see that same thing. Well, I reacted that way. But Stacy, if I showed you that photo, you may not react that way, right? You may turn away. And, and in fact, what I'm trying to do is help you to understand why this is a, a bad thing and why you should be doing this thing. But I've already lost you. And Then I get frustrated because I say, how come she didn't get it, you know? And so I just think we've got a lot to understand uh, that there is individual, there are individual animals, individual cases, individual owners, individual everything. And we're just trying to blanket, say all cats are X or, you know, all poor people are Y. I mean, it's just to see us get to a point where I feel like we're getting to a majority of people saying, yeah, what we were doing was not good and we need to change it. So yeah, I think we're, I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. I mean, cats, as an example, acquisition, I mean, how I, or you might find a new cat for your family, for our families is probably very different than others. And the others being where, (laughs) who, age, you know, culture, background, language, all of these things, you know, we did an episode on the podcast for an organization in Oklahoma, beautiful facility they built. I mean, an absolutely amazing adoption center. And then they realized, ah, you know, this area doesn't really need a lot of adoptive, you know, adoption, animals for adoption. That's not a thing they do here. That's not how they acquire pets. They don't go to a facility. It's like they know who's just had puppies and that, you know, so like that really understanding that different areas and different people all have different motivations and how can we meet that, whether that's to help them keep their pet, acquire a pet, or, you know, uh, even return or rehome a pet, which, uh, hopefully we can all start to, to grasp that is also not a negative situation.
0: So let's turn to the podcast. Why did you decide to become a podcaster? Or, I mean, did best friends just say, you know, John, we need a podcast and we're nominating you? I'm sure it's a strategic decision of some kind. And I'd love to know, you know, when you started the podcast to to where you are now, X episodes later, you know, if you could talk to your earlier, John, you know, what sort of advice would you have given earlier? Like lessons learned? Because there's a lot of organizations out there that have started podcasts.
1: I mean, as I said, we have a I have a background radio. Right so when I started with Best Friends, like I say, Julie had gone back to, to Canab, started that new role. And some of the earliest conversations we had about what I could do for best friends were kind of media related. You know, there was a a couple who had done a syndicated radio show, like a kind of a Sunday thing about pets. And they were in some, had some conversations with best friends about potentially turning it over. And so I think that was some, again, some of the earliest conversations, but it just never happened, you know? And, and again, you know, if you look at where podcasting probably fits in a, you know, whether that be promotional or educational set of, you know, offerings from an organization, podcasting probably isn't very high on that list of priorities, which I don't think is wrong. So it just wasn't the right time, right? So now fast forward to where we are today. Now again, I think time, resources, I think maybe, uh, you know, direction, and and so COVID hits, and it was went from zero to 60. Hey, you know, we've already always talked about doing this. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. We'll, you know, spend a little time doing some research and come up with some topics and people and do some recording and get some episodes in the can, you know, and that didn't happen at all. We decided we were going to do it. And I think the first episode was up like three weeks later. And so ever since then, and that first episode, by the way, was April 2nd of 2020. So we're, just past a year now at this point. And it was so yeah, it was very, very fast. And it continues to be fast paced. I wish that I had the uh, structure and research and organization that you have Stacy, for the community cats podcast. Uh, I'm trying to get there. But it's also part of I think, the way that we do it. And the way that I want to do it is that there is some uh, and this is not a slide against yours, oh. by the way, but we're very issues-based, right? Yep. Our, we will have an episode on open adoptions or, you know, whatever topic it may be, uh, less person-focused, more topic-focused, right? Issue-focused. And so sometimes that means being able to really do things that are like of the now, whatever that is, you know, an event or a program. So as difficult as it can feel for me, at least sometimes <laughs> trying to do these things, it, it I think the show can be better off for
0: it. So, if there's an organization out there thinking about doing a podcast, what sort of advice or tips would you recommend for them?
1: Oh, don't do a podcast. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, uh, I mean,
0: it's like anything,
1: right? Uh, Determine what you're doing and why you want to do it. What is my goal with the podcast, right? For us, you know, this is primarily a B2B podcast for us. My goal is to always have it where Anybody could listen, whether you're a volunteer, even just a Best Friends member. Some of the more granular details about programs you might not find super interesting or relevant for you, but you know you might find it interesting. And at least as a Best Friends member, oh, that's what Best Friends is doing with my money. Got it. So again, it's kind of a B2B podcast. So what does that mean for us in terms of goals and outcomes? We want the podcast to play a role in saving. So people will hear the podcast and maybe change what they're doing. I mean, I know that sounds so grandiose, doesn't it? But I mean, that somebody w- would say, you know what, that was an idea. And I heard from Shannon Glenn in Minneapolis or Stacey LeBaron or any of our guests and say, you know, I heard this thing, and boy, that really made me think of something differently, you know, and how can I then help with that? Even if it's just inspiring action, Stacy. I mean, getting people jazzed and connecting with others and, you know, just whatever we can do. But then of course, how do we measure that, Stacy?
0: Right. I mean, we have our downloads, you know, I mean, we have different things to see if, uh, I mean, downloads is really the podcasting metric of the world, as well as, you know, the amount of people who do reviews, that kind of stuff. What metrics do you use to measure your success?
1: Well, we're doing downloads, those similar kinds of things, but, you know, it's, it's a very strange business. It's, you know, we've got, we're niche, your niche, right? We're not Joe Rogan or whoever, Ben Shapiro, these huge, the daily. And we never will be. I don't want to be, right? So who is our audience? Well, it is this specific audience. And you know, we want to make sure that we're delivering things for them that they need and want. And if we're doing that, then I feel like we're gonna at least be somewhere in the ballpark. And thankfully we have heard from people and we do hear from people on a on a consistent basis that they've listened to podcasts and they enjoy it. And it it did you know, help them in the work that they do. And that to me is one person a month. I get one, one email like that a month. It's all worth it, You know,
0: right. I get those emails too, or people are like, Oh, I listened to your show on blah, blah, blah. And I'm utilizing it. Or, you know, re- you're really helping me understand that other people are facing the same challenges that I'm facing. And, and those are, they're the great, great emails to get. And they're really heartwarming. And, you know, from our standpoint, it's, it's why we do it. It's, it's, and the one thing that I do really appreciate and like about your podcast, which is different from the community cats podcast is you do have a quick turnover. So you are able to, so if something happens, you're actually able to probably cover it within a week or two, where if in my world with the community cats podcast, if something happens, I would do like a pop-up web- webinar. So in COVID, I did these pop-up webinars Around different COVID topics and how people were handling COVID and that kind of thing. So those are a little bit of differences that we have in our podcast sort of modeling that we do. Subscribers are incredibly important to both of us, I would say. I mean, the more subscribers we have, the better off we are. So I encourage anybody listening to this to subscribe to the Best Friends podcast, as well as to my own, if you're just listening off the uh, laptop or whatever, which is interesting. A lot of people still just listen off the feed, off the website, which is fascinating. I don't know what your statistics look like, whether they're listening, you know, subscribers, listening off the phone or listening off a laptop. But I have a lot of, I think, folks that are just still listening just straight off the feed, off the website.
1: Yeah, I mean, as as big as podcasting is today, and it is very, very big uh, and not getting any smaller, the listener habits, I mean, it's almost like if you're into podcasting, buddy, you're in, and then there's sort of like everybody else, it's a bit of a drug, isn't it? I mean, once you start clicking around and listening to podcasts, all of a sudden your phone is blowing up every day because 73 podcasts you're subscribed to release a new episode today. But, you know, that that downloads and the subscribers and is all important, and certainly for people outside of my department and others, you know it can feel impressive, at least add something to it, but i don 't care if I have a million people listening, Stacy. I really don't, because I think that's a whole other headache. it's easy for me to say, we'll never get to a million people. but <laughs> this is how my brain works, right? This is why i 'm not a guest on stuff very often. That if I, I don't care if it's a million people, I'd rather have a hundred people that are really engaged in getting something from it. And if it is just that one, right. Mm -hmm. But again, it's hard to quantify. And we do live in a world of metrics and having to, you know, prove our worth, unfortunately. And so yeah, podcasting is just one part of what I do. I work with our learning advancement team at Best Friends. Uh, That's the department I'm in. So all the new certification programs we have are executive learning, our uh, management learning. So trying to, as Tawny Hammond, my boss would say, professionalize the profession. I almost forgot that. She would have been mad at me. And so, you know, we don't have enough people. We don't have enough people to run shelters, run organizations to be the next podcast. People don't feel like this is a career. And even for those that get into it, staying in it is a whole other thing, right? Because I don't have the college degree or the other things that maybe my municipal government requires me to have. So that's a big part of the department's work and seeing the podcast as a tool in that kind of greater learning sense. I mean, that's really for us what it is.
0: So folks are interested in subscribing to your podcast. How would they do that?
1: The easiest way, bestfriends.org slash podcast. That'll Perfect. take you. To, we uh, uh, have a little corner of the network partner website. So the network partner program at Best Friends, this is our coalition of I think about 3,500 groups these days, 3,500. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Municipal shelters, rescue organizations, spay and neuter organizations, those that are working to, to do what we're all doing, save lives, right? Uh, are part of the network partner program. Easy to sign up, easy to be a member of. That's how you get grants from us, other information. And like I say, the, the podcast is part of that educational suite. So you'll find us there on the network partner site, bestfriends.org slash podcast. I love feedback, Stacey. I really do. And I appreciate you having me on. And I appreciate you telling me you enjoy it. That right there. I'm going to go to my boss and I'm going to say, see, we got the one. We're good. Can I keep doing this now?
0: Please? No, so your podcasts are great. They're well edited. They just, they flow really well. And you do, very topic-oriented. And I come away from those episodes uh, going, hmm, Yeah something to think about, you know, and and so that's, that's really excellent. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today, John, before we close up?
1: Just keep the thing for me with this podcast that I love and I've done so many different roles uh, and not just even at best friends outside. I've, you know, started my own advocacy campaigns and organizations, but the podcast I love particularly because it's allowing me to use, I think what I'm good at my communication skills to share the work and knowledge of all of these incredible people in our field, right? I mean, the knowledge that exists today and not even just that, Stacy. I would say come on the podcast, not for fame and glory, but man, they came up with this great idea for a foster program. And we're going to do, it's called Unicorn Foster Squad, and we're going to do it. And it's amazing. And I hear about it and I email Gateway Pet Guardians in East St. Louis that did that program. And they're like, please, we want everybody to know about this, right? They don't even care about being on the podcast. They just want to share this great program. And the fact that I'm in a position to be able to uh, help enable that sharing, it means the world to me to have a job that I can play a life-saving role. As ancillary as it may be to others, I'm just so thankful to still be doing this. I mean, what a, what a hell of a way to make a living, Stacey, isn't it
0: what we're doing? <laughs> it's a lot of fun. We're discovering every day. You know, I mean, there are people new. that
1: are miserable. Right now, they're in a cube, miserable, and they've got their boss and a thing and the kids and the boss broke and whatever. I mean, look at us. We're living the dream, living the dream.
0: Yeah. John, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future.
1: God, I hope so, Stacey. I only said about 1% of the things that I wanted to say. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It was probably more like two and a half. Join us for Diversity Day or Fundraising Day? We'd like to take this opportunity to shout out some of our sponsors who made these online educational opportunities possible. Vets Pets. Find out how Vets Pets is keeping happiness in motion at vetspets.com. That's V E T Z P E T Z.com. And Humane Network. Learn more about their consulting services and certificate programs at humane network.org. If you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the podcast or an online event like the upcoming online cat conference or
0: online kitten conference, email Stacy at communitycatspodcast.com for details.